Uh, the log cabin Republicans were working with Trump and Pence. President Trump was horrified to hear that past presidents like Obama, the Obama-Biden administration, were giving millions of dollars to countries that criminalize homosexuality, including 11 countries that kill people for just being themselves, for just being gay. Uh, and that's one thing that, you know, whether people love or hate, you know, former President Trump, that was one thing that he did very well was, okay, we're not funding these nations anymore. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello and welcome to Political Contessa. I am Jennifer Nassor, your Political Contessa. Today, I have Alex Haggerty. Alex is a selectman in Abington, Massachusetts. He is also someone who I respect a ton for his work as the president of the Greater Boston Chapter of the Log Cabin Republicans. Alex is also probably half my age, but has made quite a name for himself in Republican politics and afar, and has also been pretty instrumental in something that was recently passed in, in doing his own work in lobbying for recent legislation for some senators to pass it. So I'm excited to have Alex on with me today because one of the things that I see as a failure of the Republican Party recently is just not being a big enough tent, not reaching out to enough folks, not reaching out to enough women, not reaching out to enough minorities, not reaching out to enough members of the LGBTQ community um, and, you know, specifically explaining to young folks why they should be Republicans. And so. I think it's very important to hear from different voices. Um, and Alex hits on a bunch of them for me. So, <laughs> so Alex, thank you for being here with me on Political Contessa. Oh, Jen, thank you so much for having me. It's I'm so excited to be here and also very excited to be uh, a member of the Republican Party. Very proudly member of the Republican Party. So, Alex, let's go back. I mean, I, I do this with everyone. So this isn't this isn't something that I'm saying, you know, tell me exactly why. But <laughs> tell me why. I, you know, like I have my own reasons for becoming a Republican. What were your reasons for registering as a Republican and wanting to run as a Republican? So I've been a registered Republican here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts since I was 18 years old. Uh, I was raised independent by both my parents. Uh, one of my parents, I won't say which one, voted against Reagan both times and proudly said they voted against Reagan. Uh, but my parents both raised me as an independent, have a free thinking mind uh, and really have a, a, a deep appreciation for individual liberty and freedom. Uh, and that always finds a place uh, has a home in the Republican Party. Uh, we were founded, you know, by President Abraham Lincoln, who believed in the fundamental right of the, you know, all men and women are created equally. Uh, so I, I always found a home. I. That's why I, I am a member of the Republican Party. Uh, I also am very fiscally conservative. Uh, so that's. For me, I, I think when we have a fiscally responsible government, uh, we're going to have the most effective government. Uh, so that for me, I found a, a place in the Republican Party. So I, I that for me is is pretty much it, right? Like I've been registered as a Republican since I was 18. For me, I'm super fiscally conservative. My dad had died when I was young. 
Um, my mom was kind of all over the place. She voted for Bill Clinton, but she voted for Trump. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> kind of all over. Um, but for me, it is it, it's all about those fiscal issues and and finding some commonality on the social ones. Oh, yeah. And actually, if I it could correct myself, even though one of my parents did say they proudly voted against Reagan both times, if I had been born then. I would have voted for Reagan just for listeners tuning in. I would have voted for Reagan. <laughs> I, I wish I was old enough when Reagan was running to have voted for him. However, I, I missed I missed those times. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think we need to get back to those politics. We need to get back to the politics of Lincoln and Reagan and the fundamentals of of the Republican Party, which I think, you know, for both of us probably are the same, like the freedoms and the liberties and mm. opportunities. So it's the American dream. And and it's also being able to kind of, you know, live your life the way that you want it to be. Absolutely. And one of the one of my favorite facts about the Republican Party's history was the Republican Party led the charge to give women the right, the God given right to vote. Uh, it was actually the Republican Party that advocated uh, to create the 19th Amendment, uh, giving women the right to vote. It should have it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't had to have taken until 1919 for giving women the right to vote. But the Republican Party and their their endless advocating for that uh, got it over the finish line when they made when they gained control of both the House and the Senate after the election of 1918 uh, and then to constitutionally change, uh, create the 19th Amendment to give women the right to vote. And that's and that's always been one of my one of my favorite things of the Republican Party was and that's and then the whole premise of the Republican Party is of individual liberty and freedom and and supporting people uh, that all men and women are created equally. And I think we need to get back to that fundamental truth of it. And that's why uh, some people say I have a unique uh, point of view in the Republican Party, being part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've always said, yes, I'm a I'm a openly gay man. But at the end of the day, I want my government to be fiscally responsible. I want to have limited government. I want to make sure that we're supporting our all of our first responders, especially our law enforcement who keep our streets safe. Uh, you know, I want to make sure that we have a strong military, uh, you know, and keeping the government out of people's lives. I think that whenever I hear some of my Republican friends say, you know, oh, I, you know, we shouldn't touch gay marriage. We shouldn't talk about, you know, we, sh the government should not allow gay marriage. And whenever I hear that, I think that's not really a Republican value. You want the government to be out of people's lives, yet you want to tell who two consenting adults can spend their life and, and raise a family with. Uh, you know, I think as we're seeing more and more these days, uh, different Republican candidates welcoming the LGBTQ community, uh, their voting numbers are increasing. Uh, and we're welcoming more people into the GOP, which is exactly what we need. Going back to, you know, basically the spirit of Lincoln. Uh, hallelujah. Like, amen. You <laughs> you are speaking everything that I mean, that is. So I have a consistent theme, which is that, um, you know, whether it's my tweets, the podcast in, in talking to people is we Republicans, we need a better message with better messengers. Right. Those messengers should be you. They should be me. And, and it crosses between whether it's, you know, gay marriage and government should not. If we, the Republican Party, be really believe in freedoms and liberties, mm -hmm. then the government should not be regulating who you marry. Government should not be regulating women and women's rights. Right. So I, I use this thing with my friends all the time. I want to change the conversation around abortion because it has now become anti-abortion and pro-abortion. I didn't know that that was actually what it was called. I didn't know it was called abortion rights versus Roe v. Wade. And so what I say is, or pro-choice versus pro-life. And so what I say is, why can't we all just be pro-choice? Why can't we all be pro-choice? And then folks in there, the women in there that have to make a decision, 
they either make a decision for life or they make a decision to, you know, to a tough decision for abortion. But why have we become this world and why is government regulating it? Mm-hmm. And and so it is like, why don't we take the stigmas away and yeah. just say, you know, live your life. And at the end of the day, you have to put your head down on your pillow. At the end of the day, when you die, you have to meet whatever maker it is that you believe in. And, you know, you should be happy and, and free. But what we what's more important is, you know, government is around to to control chaos, to, you know, make sure that people who have no voice have a voice. I mean, it's it's pretty limited, I think, as far <laughs> as what their role should be. However, I don't know. You know, you're an elected official. You tell me. Um, all right. Yeah. So why um, why did you decide to run for selectman in Abington? So I'm born and proudly born and raised in the town of Abington here in Plymouth County. Uh, In 2018, I decided to run for Board of Health. Uh, I wanted to give back to my community, but at the same time, I also wanted to make sure that our businesses, our local businesses, weren't really being hurt by the health department. Um, I wanted them to, I wanted our businesses and the health department to collaborate together to have the, uh, a common goal that we really just want having to, to succeed. Um, I faced a lot of issues on the board of health. I then became vice chairman uh, a year and a half into it. Uh, you know, we dealt with a trash strike. We were dealing with opioids um, and, and addictions and substance awareness in Abington. And then in, you know, March of 2020, a pandemic happened. Uh, and that fell into our laps. Uh, I was, as I said, I was serving as the vice chair. So myself, the chairman, the board and our health department really had to buckle down and work on solutions to keep all, you know, the 17,000 residents of Abington safe. Uh, we instituted a mask mandate before actually the governor did just to keep people safe. Um, of course, you know, I I believe in limited government. So we we had some leeway. Uh, with our mandates and, you know, how we kept businesses safe and open, by the way, which was great. Uh, And that whole experience of the COVID-19 pandemic really opened my eyes uh, and and made me realize that we need leadership who is excited to do the work, who's going to do the work, has the energy uh, to be in higher leadership positions. Uh, So, Towards the end of the pandemic, I realized uh, in around November, December of 2020, that in the next election cycle, town election cycle, that I was going to make that jump uh, to board of selectmen. I spoke with my family about it. I definitely spoke with my fellow board members about it. I spoke to every department head in Abington. I was like, we... I believe Abington needed a new voice uh, for a better future, a better Abington. Uh, and, and so the way Abington elections worked in 2021, there were two seats up for re-election. One, uh, one of my friends, Tim Chapin, was running for re-election. Uh, and then one, uh, the, the, uh, there was an open seat. Uh, someone was not running for re-election. So I was like, I'm, this is a perfect opportunity. I'm going to jump into this. So the first day that I could pull papers, uh, I already had a statement ready to go. As soon as I you know, got out those nomination papers, the social media went out, Alex Haggerty for you know, Abington Selectman. Uh, and it was four months of great campaigning, door knocking, meeting voters, having you know, talk, phone calls, coffee hours and things like that. It was really, really exciting. Um, being 26, running for uh, board, of, board of selectmen was uh, not an easy task. Um, and it came with, you know, some criticisms and things like that. But we really kept it focused on the issues that matter to people in Abington, um, to the taxpayers in Abington, our seniors, our students, um, and, and working with town employees, too. Uh, so when Election Day came around in uh, April of 2021, uh, we topped the ticket. Um, and I don't say I topped the ticket. I say we topped the ticket because the people who came out to support me and and my whole team of volunteers, I mean, it was really a community message. So we were so excited when we won uh, in, in, in September. And it's it's been fun ever since. Granted, a lot of hard work. But, uh, you know, I... 
if there's one thing I can recommend to definitely to Republicans in Massachusetts is we need people running for local offices, whether it's school committee, board of health, planning board, you know, town council, aldermen, you know, uh, board of selectmen. We need good people because we need to show that, you know, Republicans lead. I think that's everywhere around the country as well. I mean, it's not it's not just in Massachusetts. And and you actually answered my question that I was going to ask, (laughs) which was how important do you think it is for folks to I mean, you know, it's being party chair, seeing this as party chair and seeing this, you know, on on the other end, on the pundit end, um, you have a lot of people that just wake up one day and dust themselves off and say, I'm going to run for, you know, governor, U.S. Senate, Congress. They've mm-hmm. never run for anything before. And so they don't understand what it's like to actually build the campaign structure, have the ground game, find the donors, you know, what they have to do. Mm-hmm. So how important, um, you know, do you think getting that experience as well is? I think it's in my opinion, especially in a state like ours, I think having that local experience, I mean, it's it's priceless. It's priceless because if you ever wanted to run for something higher up, let's say like state representative, state senator, governor's council, run for governor or Congress, U.S. Senate, uh, you, you're going to need that experience, how to legislate locally and how to how to run a successful campaign. Granted, running for board of selectmen is completely different than running for Congress, but all the values are still there. Having to connect with people and really focusing on what matters to to your district uh, and also, frankly, getting your name out there. Uh, you know, Massachusetts, we do have an issue of, you know, people wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to run for Congress. But but then nobody knows who you are. We have, you know, great candidates, you know, even in 2022, we had wonderful candidates running for Congress this year. And then unfortunately, you know, people just didn't know who they are and they but, you know, they did a great job running a hard campaign, um, you know, especially in a year where Republicans struggled um, nationwide. Um, I mean, granted, we still held on to the House uh, in in the in Congress. Um, But, you know, this should have been a red wave. Um, but no, like I, we need, I couldn't emphasize it more that we need people running for local offices. Absolutely. I, I think the best offices are the local ones. I mean, that's why I ran for Boston city council was because I felt like, you know, the talent, the talent pool, first of all, there are many more positions on planning boards on board, you know, Mm on, on your, um, on your board of education on your, you know, local school board on your, on, you know, running for selectmen, running for city councils and, and your impact is so local. It's so local. It's, it's what goes on in your backyard, which I thought, you know, in Boston, for me, it was the rats and the homeless and the, you know, the, you know, people who are abusing drugs and rogue Ubers that, you know, I could see almost knocking down old ladies and women pushing, um, you know, strollers. And, and to me, that was, that's why you should run. You should run not for the glory, but you should run because you want to make a change and something important. Oh, exactly. And, you know, and for a lot of, a lot of these local positions, yes, it's a thankless job, but I, and myself and other people that I know who are serving locally, we don't do it, you know, for the glory. We do it for making our communities better. Uh, and, and really, it's it's also a great way to promote the Republican Party. Say, look, look at what local Republican leadership can do to make our communities better. And then that's we can help, you know, with the state's. Uh, representative numbers, the state Senate numbers, where we desperately need Republican leadership. Um, now that, you know, we're going into, you know, 2023, Massachusetts, there's going to be a super majority for Democrats in the House, the Senate, and now they control all the uh, congressional, uh, not the congressional, the uh, constitutional offices in Massachusetts. People are going to, the, these next few years are going to be so critical Uh t- for Republicans to show we have the leadership, let's have you know a two-party system here. Uh, and the best way we can do that 
is have good, strong Republicans serving their community, not for the glory, but to make our communities better. Absolutely. That's I mean, and we in Massachusetts face a similar situation that you see in, you know, in Pennsylvania, you see it in Connecticut, you see it in Rhode Island, um, you know, Maine. I mean, we're we're all kind of struggling in the same um, microcosm here in the Northeast. But I mean, we have, you know, look, Oregon was able to flip congressional (laughs) seats. Right. And we we couldn't even we couldn't even get in a statewide office holder and we're down to 25 of 200 members of the legislature. So um, of our state legislature, which is pathetic. And but I'm a big believer in building the bench and making sure that there are folks that are interested and want to make a difference in their neighborhoods. And that's why I think what you did is just so remarkable, because as a young person, you went out there and said, where can I make a difference? And, you know, Board of Health and running in Abington for selectmen is just such a great way to represent your community and a different, diverse point of view from being young, from being someone who grew up there. Um, and, you know, I, I, my hope is always that my listener thinks, well, you know, either I haven't I don't want to go and tell anyone what my political views are, but I'm interested in running for office or I'd like to help someone, you know, like yourself run for office mm. um, and, and just doesn't know how to get started. Because, again, it's like all the attention is always up, up, up yeah. and not on the local. But, um, you know, I think but- it's so important. To, to add to that, if there's also another piece of advice that I could give to Republicans who want to run for local office, young and old, uh, make the issue, you know, make your campaign running about the issues that matter to your to your potential constituents. Uh, running national issues in a school committee race or board of health or selectman city council race is a one ticket to lose. You, you cannot run on national issues, national politics running locally. Um, you're going to lose. We see great candidates in our Commonwealth that run on national issues and, you know, they end up getting wiped out. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, the ones who really miss out are the constituents of those communities. Definitely. So. I should have I should have done a better job introducing um, what the log cabin Republicans are. Right. Because I think, you know, my listener might not understand what that is and the significance of it. And so, I mean, I always I always loved working with the log cabin Republicans Um, for you out there, the log cabin. And I'm going to let I'm going to let Alex do a better job than me, but <laughs> the log cabin Republicans got its start in California in the late 1970s. And what? right. And so um, I, Not you know, many people I, know that that's great. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that it was so long. And what's, what's even more amazing is that there were many prominent politicians in both parties that were hesitant about standing up to the bigotry that was going on and the gay conservatives in California, get this, get this, because we just mentioned him. They turned to former California governor, Ronald Reagan. And at the time he was preparing for his uh, 1980 campaign for president. And so, um, you know, people thought, especially his advisors, that he was going to commit political suicide being outspoken. And yet, you know, he he was in favor of this. And so um, I I think that the history of the log cabin Republicans is amazing in Mm. regards to how Reagan was so um, helpful in, in it coming to fruition. But talk about the log cabin Republicans. So like you said, it was honestly a it's a wonderful story, a wonderful history of how Log Cabins got founded, um, how, how our organization got founded. But for for your listeners, Log Cabin Republicans is the LGBTQ outreach for the Republican Party. Uh, it's actually the first uh, conservative LGBTQ outreach uh 
for the Republican Party and as the longest serving one, too. Uh, we've been inst we were instrumental in the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. Uh, log cam Republicans in 2008 and 2009 were challenging don't ask, don't tell in uh, this, the state court systems. Uh, and we were getting victories left and right. And we were going to bring it up to the Supreme Court. Uh, and then at the time, Speaker Pelosi saw that log cabin Republicans and the GOP were going to get that victory of overturning Don't Ask, Don't Tell, that they were, OK, we got to do something here. Uh, Harry Reid, we, we need to do a vote to get rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell before the log cabin Republicans get this victory. Um, well, I mean, of course, we obviously still helped uh, get that repealed by the legislature, but um, it, nothing would have started, nothing to get don't ask, don't tell would have got, would have happened if it weren't for log cabin Republicans. Uh, and, and we see that even today uh, or the, the previous uh, presidential administration, the Trump Pence administration, uh, the log cabin Republicans were working with Trump and Pence. President Trump was horrified to hear that past presidents like Obama and, and the Obama Biden administration were giving millions of dollars to countries that criminalize homosexuality, including 11 countries that kill people for just being themselves, for just being gay. Uh, and that's one thing that, you know, whether people love or hate, you know, former President Trump, that was one thing that he did very well was, OK, we're not funding these nations anymore. And they led a coalition with uh, then Ambassador Rick Grinnell, uh, who then eventually became the first openly gay presidential cabinet. U.S. official in U.S. history uh, and led the world coalition to decriminalize homosexuality. Uh, and it's unfortunately the Biden-Harris administration have basically defunct uh, that coalition, which is odd because, you know, the Democrats like to say, oh, we're the party of inclusion and supporting people, but they won't go to those 69 countries or President Biden won't stand on the U.N. stage like President Trump did and say and call out the countries that criminalize homosexuality as President Trump did in 2019, uh, which was huge for log cabin Republicans. And as today, log cabin Republicans are helping build the, the GOP. Some of the, re, you know, some of the biggest factors of why we held on to GOP seats in 20 in 2022 and also gained new seats was because chat because of log cabin Republicans presence in states like Florida and Virginia. We flipped log cabin Republicans helped flip seats in Virginia and and in New York because of our help. We were in, we saw in in Oregon. We were looking in Arizona, the, these states where the big tent Republican Party was is really forming, uh, really helped build the Republican base. So we're and actually this this cycle, we're so excited that log cam Republicans were able, were sending uh, a openly gay Republican to Congress from New York, New, New York Congressional three. George Santos is a good friend of mine. Um, he ran in 2020. He almost won in this year. Uh, he he got over the finish line and we're so thankful for that. That's amazing. And it's so it's so great that you guys are able to, you know, the organization is able to be um, so helpful to these candidates and, you know, and to the party as a whole, because it does expand the party. Um, you brought up something so interesting. So, you know, President Trump's support, which I'm sure no one knows because, you know, like, I didn't I don't like Trump as a person, but I like his policies. And I think that this is one of those things that that should be showcased because it shows, you know, a a kindness part of of the Republican Party and what Republican presidents can do, which oh, brings absolutely. right, which brings me to something else that I'm sure, you know, it's like memories are so and the older you get, you know, it's you you realize why memories are short because you kind of forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I blame it on having kids. <laughs> <laughs> but but you forget things. And 
Um, recently, um, a, a legislation passed in the United States Senate. And in going back and reading about it, I forgot that defense of marriage was actually signed into law under President Bill Clinton. Correct. And which is and and it was heavily supported and promoted by then U.S. Senator Joe Biden. He was one of the biggest proponents of pushing the Defense of Marriage Act. And isn't that amazing and so interesting? Yet it's us Republicans that don't like anyone and that we're exclusionary. Yet this started with a Democratic administration and, and had support from our current president of the United States. So I, I just I, I want people to know that. Right. I want to point out the hypocrisy because nothing kills me more than hypocrites. And Correct. and look, you can you can say, oh, well, I've seen the ways and, and everything else. I've seen the error of my ways. But but I think that. um what we saw, t- you know, just recently happen was the respect of marriage, right? Or Correct. is it respect for marriage? Uh, I'd respect- love for you. you sure. I want you to talk about this because I think it's really important, and um, and I think we should also give credit to the twelve Republican senators that signed on to this. Yes, absolutely. So uh, on Wednesday, uh, uh, let's see, November November sixteenth. Um, the U.S. Senate uh, voted uh, to override the filibuster uh, to then further have discussions about uh, the Respect for Marriage Act, which, as you said, would re- would completely remove the Defense of Marriage Act that Joe Biden supported in 1996 and Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton signed into law, which made that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Uh, The respect for marriage uh, had gone up for a vote in the House of Representatives uh, in September, where 47 Republicans uh, voted for it to advance it to the U.S. Senate. Uh, And actually, as log cam Republicans, we worked with those 47 Republicans uh, to get those votes. uh, And it was really, really exciting. And if if Speaker Pelosi did not, uh, if she did the Respect for Marriage Act in the House the proper way, uh, we actually would have potentially gotten more Republicans to sign on. Uh, Unfortunately, for a lot of the representation, they had not read the bill. Uh, And and unlike Speaker Pelosi, Republicans like to read what they're voting on. Uh, I was going to interject with that. You know, it's it's one of her things that don't read it, just sign on to it. (laughs) Exactly. But we were so thankful to have those 47. And then on November 16th, we had... 12 Republicans uh, helped break the filibuster so we could advance the Respect for Marriage Act. Um, And I actually, if you don't mind, Jen, I I think I I would be appreciative for your listeners and people out there uh, for me to list who the 12 Republicans are. Because, yes, 50 Democrats voted for the Respect for Marriage Act, uh, but it's so important. That, that these 12 Republicans did what they did because they got marriage equality over the finish line. Um, and we have to thank the, um, the especially the, the people, the two people who really co-sponsored this bill, Senator Baldwin from from Wisconsin uh, and U.S. Senator from Maine, Susan Collins. They were the big the two big names on the Respect for Marriage Act. Um, but for the Republicans who voted, uh, Senator Blunt of Missouri Senator Burr of North Carolina, Senator Collins of Maine, Senator Ernst of Iowa, Senator Lummis of Wyoming, Senator Moore Capito of West Virginia, Senator Murkowski of Alaska, Senator Portman of Ohio, Senator Sullivan of Alaska, Senator Romney of Utah, and actually for listeners or younger listeners, uh, he used to be the former governor of Massachusetts in the early 2000s. Uh, so for for us here in Massachusetts and log cam Republicans of greater Boston, uh, it's great to have uh, Romney supporting this legislation. Uh, Senator Tillis of North Carolina uh, and Senator Young of Idaho, I believe. Um, no, excuse me, Senator Young of Indiana. My my apologies. Uh, But no, to have these Republicans sign on 
to reverse the homophobic and discrimination of the Defense of Marriage Act from the 1990s. Uh, it, it just shows how forward the Republican Party is and really getting back to the core values of individual liberty and freedom. The government shouldn't come in and tell, shouldn't dictate who or who not should get married as, you know, consenting adults. Uh, you know, so I think it's, it's huge. Um, th there's supposed to be a final vote on this on November 28th. Uh, and from what we're hearing from uh, Senator Collins and Senator Tillis and Portman, that we, instead of, we of course will have the 62 votes to a vote finally in the U.S. Senate for the Respect for Marriage Act, but we're working on potentially having some more Republicans sign on to it. Uh, because what the Respect for Marriage Act does is, yes, it does reverse the Defense of Marriage Act, but at the same time, you know, it it allows states that have same-sex same marriage legal uh, to keep it legal. Uh, we saw what happened with Roe Ro v. Wade being overturned. So some people, both in the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, were then worried what was going to happen if potentially marriage equality was overturned at the Supreme Court. So Republicans and Democrats came together to create a resolution that if the Supreme Court, you know, say, next week or, you know, 20, 40, 50 years from now, decide to overturn marriage equality. Uh, there would be protections through the legislation of, uh, you know, the House of Representatives and Senate. So we're, we're, we're very thrilled uh, to take this step to really give secure, give marriage protections for everyone in this country. But at the same time, not to go on, uh, long-winded here, Jen, but uh, it also protected religious liberty. It also did the same because there were senators that were concerned that there are people in our country, you know, who, who don't support, you know, same-sex marriage. And you know what? That's okay. There, the People can have their beliefs, but at the end of the day, especially as Republicans, you can have those beliefs, but don't let your beliefs trump on other people's rights. And there has to be a balance that same, you know, LGBTQ rights and religious liberty can coexist. And that's what this legislation does is protects LGBTQ rights and at the same time protecting religious liberty. And the um, is it correct that the Church of Latter-day Saints also was supportive of this? Was that the. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so as log cam Republicans, we weren't notified of that. The, the Latter-day Saints were doing this until the night before. Uh Honestly, I mean, it, it, we were thrilled in the log cabin Republican circles. We were we were overjoyed. We were over to the moon because religious groups played a part in the forming uh, formatting of the Respect for Marriage Act. Yes, we had LGBTQ groups like ours, you know, and uh, and glad and victory work on the legislation. But we also had, you know, religious organizations come in. And so we could have that balance of LGBTQ rights and religious liberty coexisting together. And um, another thing I want to point out that I find interesting that was all part of this was also interracial marriage, Correct. right? which we protecting that, which you would think in 2022, None of this would actually be an issue, but, um, you know, that that was part of it. And I, I think that that's great, too, to make sure that that, you know, we there's a protected class out there. Correct. Absolutely. So that everyone's marriages are protected. You know, I think also what is, um, you know, and, and maybe you don't want to get into this right now, and maybe this is a conversation for another day, but I think important for um you know, as a as a mom, as as a mom of girls and seeing everything that's going on in youth sports today with, you know, transgender boys or becoming girls into girl sports, you know, how does the log cat do you, log cabins take a position on any of this? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so we Log Cabin understands the importance of protecting women's rights, uh, and especially when it comes to women's sports. Um, we have in Log Cabin Republicans, we are an LGBTQ organization. Um, so we have formatting 
the we have our transgender membership who are kind are, are and and ourselves drafting um proposals or guidelines that we have to protect women's sports um we in society we can support you know people who and who, who who are transitioning and, and and being transgender uh but i think it's a difficult conversation for us to have that you know things that we can't get away from the biology of uh, a biological man who who is now a woman and we respect and and identify her as her uh but at the same time there is biology is a pesky thing uh and, and at the end of the day you know we we can be promoting equality but we don't want to do it at the risk of hurting women's rights so just and that's why and that's why like people like caitlin jenner she has worked with us on drafting uh you know recommendations or guidelines that yeah you we can support the transgender community and be be accepting of people and and being respectful but at the same time we cannot trump women's rights we can't you know and, and i it's an uncomfortable conversation that the lgbtq community on the left doesn't want to have you know and, and that's it, 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 Let's just put it this way. It's challenging. Yeah, no, I mean, I it is. And and I've done a podcast on this before because I I have three daughters and and they're athletes and especially for my 10 year old and and to see what goes on. And it's not that I'm not supportive of folks who are transitioning and how hard it is, just like the abortion conversation. Right. If a woman I say I'm pro-choice because I respect a woman's decision to have a child who may only live a couple of years and to love that baby and to give that baby everything and to go through the heartache. And I respect mm -hmm. a woman's decision who has to make a decision and say, I cannot take care of this child. This is not going to work out for me at this time for whatever reason. Um, and it's the same thing with this. It's I, I respect the decision and it is a very hard decision and it's life altering. Yeah. Um, and, and it is something that needs conversation conversation. And, and just like I get mad when I see a 75 year old man talk about abortion and talk about, you know, well, everyone should be pro-life. To me, it is, this is the conversation where, you know, when I talk about having a new message with new messengers, that the log cabins can be right in front of this yeah. because you can talk about it in a way of understanding and, yeah. and compassion. I mean, on my end, it's, you know, I, I went through school in the, you know, seventies and eighties in, you know, as, ele you know, elementary and high school and, um, and know how hard it was for women and and in women's sports and to get those scholarships and and to watch and say, how is the Democratic Party ripping women's rights away? So on one hand, want to expand them on abortion, but on the other hand, want to rip them away when it comes to Title IX and opportunities. And so yeah. but I well, think, that's... you know, this is definitely like another I, I didn't prepare you for this one. But, it, but <laughs> while I while I had you but, as but... a captive audience, I wanted to bring it up. <laughs> no, but but it's it's an important one we have to have and you brought up chapter nine. I mean, uh, is it chapter or T title, title nine? nine. Yeah. Title nine. I'm sorry. I always get those confused. Uh, title nine. Like log can Republicans. Actually, I'll have to check our social media. I know that certain chapters have made statements uh, where they're seeing an, an issue where uh, of transgender uh women playing in women's sports uh, and really seeing the the conflicting you know you have these girls who training their whole life you know and then a guy comes in or a, a guy who who is now you know living her life as as a woman uh completely annihilates all, all the women in, in on the swim team uh that's that's not fair I mean, that's unfortunately trampling on women's rights. Uh, and, and, you know, again, like I said, we can have, you know, the the 
being respectful and accepting people of who they are and loving who they are. But at the same time, we can't trample on other people's rights. And what, you know, Log Cabin is working on with the, the, uh, the, the, the trans community and, you know, trying to have those difficult conversations with people are saying, Oh, you know, we need to be supportive of everything and stuff like that. But there, there gets to a point where people think they're, they're helping acceptance or when they're really not, they're pushing the community so far left that it's hurting the acceptance of the LGBTQ community, if I'm making any sense. Absolutely. I absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things I think that we need to be careful of in society of pushing, you know, one um, modus operandi, right. Instead of looking at everyone and how this affects everyone. And, and, you know, I mean, look, everyone has a innate, you know, inner bias, whether people believe it or not. And so, you know, most of us just look past everything and go on with our day and love our fellow human and and say, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? That's how yeah. I live my life. Um, but the more something is pushed in your face and thrown down your throat, you kind of start saying, wait a second, right? And then you start getting resentful. Um, yes. And so I think it's, you know, but the, again, this is like, I would love to have you on again to have a conversation about this because oh, yeah. it's something I don't think that's going to go away. And no, it's not today. Today we celebrate um, the respect for marriage and and hopefully that that passes with flying colors and hopefully more Republicans sign on to it um, because I think it's it's good for society and yes. it's good for especially for us as Republicans it's very good as much as I joke who would want to get married it is <laughs> it's part right it's part of family values like yeah. keep a family together and let people raise children together and and you allow people to take you know when when one partner dies then the other partner you know is fully invested in that relationship and it, it's it runs the gamut in a whole bunch of things. And so um, we celebrate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 honestly, the victory, you know, I, I always tell my LGBTQ friends, you know, both on the right and on the left, you know, creating a more inclusive society does not happen overnight. I mean, the, the the gay rights movement has been working for equality for for decades, for decades. And it's people like former, you know, state Senate minority leader Richard Tissay, who advocated for marriage equality. It's people like Ambassador Grinnell, actually former acting director of national intelligence, Rick Grinnell, working in the GOP during the 90s when, you know, Pat Buchanan was getting up on the GOP convention stage and basically saying, you no, 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 gays are not welcomed in the party. It's people like to say Grinnell who stayed in the party to make the party better and say, let's get to the real back. Let's get back to the fundamentals of the Republican Party supporting people. We are all created equally, you know, whether whether you're man, woman, gay, straight, you know, bisexual transgender it doesn't matter regardless of your religion we are all equal uh you know so i personally two of my biggest heroes of my life uh and i can seriously consider them both friends uh which is quite incredible for me uh rick Rennell and and both richard to say uh what people like richard to say especially here in Massachusetts, what he went through um, to be able to get married um, and to be accepted in the public. Um, and is truly inspiring to me. And that's why I keep into this fight. Um, you know, recently they were uh, in my local town, they were talking about a inappropriate book uh, that was in the uh, middle school and high school library. And they were promoting it as, well, if you remove the book, it's an attack on the LGBTQ community. And I go, time out. I go, time out. This book rein reinstates the, neg the negative stereotypes, stigmas, and caricatures that people like Richard Tissay and Rick Grinnell fought for to get away from. We fought away from, you know, being the, oh, those are those people, you know, that's what they like. And no, 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 no. 
we just the LGBTQ community wants to be treated with dignity and respect and be treated equally. Uh, you know, so I got up and I spoke. Yes, there were people who were angry. Um, th there was a lady in the audience uh, who was been very critical of me running for office. I know she's a Democrat and she gave me the finger uh, after I spoke. There was a person oh who, my God. who yelled during my speech, shut the F up. I'm like, it was, but here I am as a gay man saying that, no, stop taking my community into areas where you're hurting our acceptance. You think you're helping and you're really not. All at the end of the day, I just want to be treated as my straight brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Alex, it's so refreshing to have someone like you who's out there, you know, actually living everything you preach, right? You're you're a locally elected official as a, you know, young gay male, you know, working in with the log cabin Republicans, leading the log cabin Republicans here in Massachusetts and and just all of your work. It's it's really so awesome and amazing. I have so much respect for you and oh. I'm excited to see where where you go from here in the future. Oh, well, thank you, Janet. And I I. I, I don't do it alone. I have an amazing, amazing board of directors team with Log Cam Republicans of Greater Boston. Uh, Maureen uh, McInerney, she's my, our, our vice president. She's so hardworking. Uh, she she goes back and forth from Virginia to Massachusetts uh, and really just helping push our message. And we got Davey Ann Collins, who she, she serves on the Massachusetts State Committee. Uh, it's not easy. It really, really isn't easy, especially in the climate of the mass GOP right now. Uh, we also have straight allies. We, you know, we have people who want to run for office in 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 the uh, log cam Republicans of Greater Boston. So I don't do it alone. We have an, an incredible team, and I'm so so immensely proud uh, to be part of this organization. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, and consider me one of your allies. I think that your work is is fabulous, and. Uh, and again, it's just, I think there's, you give me hope and hopefully you give my listener hope as well um, for, for what is to come. So it's very aspirational. Thank you. Well, thank you. And, and honestly, it having these conversations with leaders like you, you know, give us hope because if it weren't for the, it weren't for people like you and the 12 Republicans who voted for the Respect for Marriage Act in the Senate and the 47 in the House, uh, you know, we can't do this alone. And that's why Log Count Republicans, we we make it a point that we have to work with our straight allies to, you know, to really build a better GOP and get back to the spirit of Lincoln. Oh, from your lips to um, Republican God's ears. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. This is Jennifer Nassor. I am your political contessa, and I am so happy to have just had an interview with Alex Haggerty, who is a selectman in Abington, Massachusetts, locally elected official. He is also the president and the head of the Boston chapter of the Log Cabin Republicans and someone who I think we should all keep an eye on because I see great things for Alex ahead. So thank you very much. Thanks to you for listening and stay happy, healthy and safe and happy holidays. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Thank you.